Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. This week on Mox on the Mic, we sit down with the head mock. Chattanooga Director of Athletics Mark Wharton joins us as we take a, a big picture look at Chattanooga Athletics. We're going to talk fundraising, we're going to talk construction, uh, some projects going on, the future of Ingle Stadium, and also name, image, and likeness, which has been a hot topic around college athletics here for the last uh, couple of weeks. So, hope you enjoy it. Here's our conversation this week with Mark Wharton on Mox on the Mic. Are you starting to feel like maybe there's some light at the end of what I know has been a long, dark tunnel? Yes, definitely. You know, with the, obviously the, the vaccines coming out in March and, you know, the lifting of some of the restrictions and, you know, restrictions, you know, I do see the light. We had planned on having the light there, but um, continue to watch what the CDC says in the county and you know, feel very, very good and comfortable about having fans in the fall and winning some championships. When we spoke back in December, you said at that time, you said, I just want to get to June and hit the reset button. You're almost to June. Is it relief? Is it anticipation? Uh, now that you are almost to June, what's the feeling now? I feel relief. I, I felt like once we got our seasons done, um, that it would be a huge weight off our shoulders. I, I think we've continued to stay busy, you know, with planning, but definitely see, you know, the, the coming couple of months as a time to kind of reset and take your breath and then jump right back into it. You know, I, I kind of I complained my first couple of years that uh, I had two weekends that I didn't have anything to do out of the whole year. And then this COVID thing, uh, you know, my, my grass is in great shape. But I miss not having something to do every weekend and, and the late nights and the travel that I really found myself missing that and appreciating all, all the things that uh, go into doing this job. Business changed for everybody. I, it doesn't matter. I think it doesn't matter really what business you're in, not just athletics, but how you do business, how you fundraise. Everything changed in the last 14 months. What have you learned? Again, similar to what I said, you know, to be appreciative of the, uh, the people that stayed with us during all this, you know, I, we were having a record fundraising year, uh, which is unheard of. Uh, and it's those people that stepped up, stayed with us, uh, people that bought tickets for the anticipated fall of 2020 that uh, didn't ask for a refund, said keep the money. And um, it really shows how special our fan base is, the, the work our staff has done, uh, talking to Tate, you know, the, the job they did in the spring, televising 65 events uh, and being creative, doing golf and tennis and, uh, you know, the work they put in seven days a week. And, and you really learn to appreciate, not that I didn't before, but the, the yeoman's job that our, our staff has done, our sports medicine, our equipment staff, uh, Mock Sports Properties, you know, everybody that uh, – I sit here very much appreciative that I work with the people I do and we have the fans that we have. You talk about a uh, record-breaking year from a from a giving standpoint or a fundraising standpoint. What all's going into that? What all is going on currently? If people want to get involved, what do they do? 
Well, I mean, we're, we're in our cycle. Um, uh, the 31st is our priority deadline for the Mox Club, and our, our development staff is working hard to, to renew those people, and then we'll focus on seating uh, Finley Stadium. Um, you obviously can go to gomox.com, and there's a giving button that you can renew or join. Uh, our, our staff has put together a campaign uh, of 1,500. Uh, we average around 500, 600 donors need to be based on our league and our level 1500s where we need to be it's not a dollar amount that we look at i think i've said through my career if you get them treat them right you know they're going to get more down the road so uh we're we're having a great year so far that uh, uh our guys have really worked hard and and i, I look that we're going to have more season tickets based on our giving and and Obviously, we got a product that we're going to put on the field that's going to be very, very special. We have the potential to be really, really good uh, in football next year and men's basketball com- coming off 18 wins. So it, it's lining up that it could be a special year. Oh, those football tickets are on sale now, right? Right now. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of, there's been some schools that have made some moves. Uh, Jacksonville State, Eastern Kentucky being two that have both moved to the Atlantic Sun. Did your phone ring uh, in regards to whether or not Chattanooga would have an interest? Yes, uh, Atlantic Sun and the Ohio Valley uh, very much want Chattanooga to to consider uh, making that move. Um, We've talked as a leadership team on campus as well as our school that I think right now with especially the basketball component that, you know, we finished number 11 in the country uh, in the NET above a lot of great leagues that, uh, that, you know, the way you make money at the FCS is go to the NCAA tournament, win a couple of games that you have six years that you have some, uh, conference revenue distribution, you know, from the NCAA that I, th- I think, you know, the, the Southern conference in our history and winning championships is where we need to be. Spring football, a lot of people, a lot of prominent people, on television say they think the spring is where it should be, that that's the future of FCS football. How do you view it? There's a lot of components in it. Um, the student athletes that are draftable, you know, that they, they can't play in the spring because the draft is the end of April and the playoffs go through May in uh, that, in the model we just went through. It's also, you know, we rely very heavily on our pay games. Like for example, we play Kentucky that uh, if we move to the spring and all of uh, FBS stayed in the fall, that those opportunities wouldn't be there. Um, and then you look at the student athlete, you know, our, our football players report June one and they work out for two months and then start camp August 1st there, that if you'd moved it to the spring, you have that break uh, between the end of classes to, you know, they'd have to come back before Christmas and work through Christmas be able to prepare for a end of February kickoff that it's just not feasible in my, my mind. And, you know, I think FCS is still very, very relevant to the big boys. And um, so I, I'm not a proponent of moving to the spring. You haven't heard of any, there's, there's no real movement among your colleagues to, to push for something like this. Is there? There is a couple athletic directors in our league that would like us uh, to consider it and, and have the Southern Conference, uh, you know, push the other FCS schools because all of them have to do it. And so every league would have to have that same mindset. And like I said, I, I just the majority, I don't I think, sees the issues as I see. And, 
hopefully it will die very quickly. What do you wish people knew about this last football season and, and the way it played out and the way it ended for Chattanooga? That Coach Rusty Wright and myself since August, September, when we decided to, you know, as a league to move games and really the FCS division through the Springs, that Rusty and I felt like four to six games were was the right mix for the spring. Uh, we obviously lost the vote with the Southern Conference to play eight. Uh, you know, Rusty, if you saw him this year compared to the 2019 season, he, he was scared to death, and, and we really got a, a wake-up call when um, Colin Skelly broke his leg at Furman that, you know, any ACL, any shoulder, that our players would have missed the spring and also missed the fall season. And so I, I, that's the reason, you know, after uh, the Mercer game, our whole offensive line came to my office and said, you know, we just don't want to risk it. You know, we, we feel like we have a special team and – uh, can go into the fall and really make some noise and finish the, you know, a lot of those guys like uh, Harrison Moon, Cole Strange uh, graduated and they want that last hurrah and they have every opportunity, both of them, along with some of them, to, uh, some other ones to play uh, at the next level. So it really was a stressful time for, I think, our whole athletic department to do the right thing. And looking back, it was the right thing, and we're prepared. And these guys have had, you know, 45 days at home with moms cooking, and we'll come back on June 1st, ready to go and get them in shape, and we'll be back to our plan how we how we prepare for the fall. When the football season rolls around, and that that home opener comes, do you anticipate capacity at Findlay Stadium being limited in any way? No, not at all. I, I think right now we'll, we'll um, ask that people consider wearing masks will be the, the only extent, but we, we anticipate, you know, uh, normally a 10,000 uh, person crowd and will be a beautiful night on that Thursday night playing Austin Peay. Your thoughts on playing on Thursday night, and I'm, I'm sure you've done research into the you know, the, the crowd and ticket sales and, and all of that kind of stuff. Is that something you like? Do you see a benefit of playing on Thursday night? I do, especially kicking off the season. And, you know, one of our motivations was to stay off, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia playing that we, we would be the only game in town. And as many people know that Tennessee changed their opening to Thursday night, the same Thursday night. So that kind of, you know, it's a damper, but, we're just hoping people in our community are ready to see college football and we'll get a few people that normally don't come to games to come to games. And, you know, again, our product is really, really good that we might be able to convince them to come to a few more. The one thing that has really evolved nicely around Chattanooga football that, and, and, and really the, the revitalization of it, if you will, started, prior to your arrival, and that's the game day experience. It has become a, you know, you want to get there early and tailgate and just that entire day of, of college football at Finley Stadium has turned into something that, that I think is really nice and, and really well done. What's the next step in that? Is that a conversation you guys are having now? How do we, how do we take this the next step further? You're exactly right. I think that that was already here and our fans really love the pavilion and the mock walk and, you know, our students um, really love to come to tailgate. Uh, 
we don't see them in the stadium. They love to tailgate so much, but uh, it's trying to find something and working with our um, student government association to get those students in there to add that additional atmosphere, which again, I, I think is really great with, for college football. But one of the moves that is not talked about much is we ended up hiring the assistant band director at Alabama and our campus has made a uh, concerted effort to fund our band and make sure it gets bigger and larger that uh, I think you might see a little difference this year, but I think in year two, year three, that we're going to have a true collegiate uh, college you know, band that uh, certainly will add to that atmosphere. We're excited about that. But we, we constantly talk about game day, and how we can show our fans a great time. And, you know, we, we um, or have been approved to be able to sell alcohol throughout the Finley um, stadium, which I think will add some convenience and uh, some atmosphere. You know, Tennessee did it two years ago, so we uh, really pushed to make sure we do it right. So, you know, there's different things that we were excited about coming into this season. Have you been able to estimate what you think alcohol sales means to you revenue-wise? It's hard to, you know, uh, put your finger on it. You know, we look at the CFC that uh, plays in Finley, that they've had alcohol sales for a couple of years. Our crowds are a little bit larger than theirs. So looking at uh, kind of their numbers that, you know, it's a significant new revenue stream for us, which is always, you know, matters, you know, when we try to fund our programs. What's the future of Chattanooga football at Finley Stadium? Is that something you're committed to long-term? Would you like to have a, a facility that, that you own and operate? What's, what's the status there? You know, Finley Stadium was built because of Chattanooga football. And, um, you know, we're working with them and very, very close to signing a kind of a long-term deal. Uh, we, we talk not uh, formally about possibility. You know, we continue to look at our campus and housing, you know, providing new housing that uh, some of the old housing will be torn down that will provide a footprint, to possibly put a stadium there. But um, you know, the economics of it, we, we have to figure that out. And uh, we really, really love and I think it will make a huge difference for our students being able to attend games and the atmosphere on our campus. But uh, right now that, that that's down the line, down the road that uh, hopefully we'll look at. But right now, Finley's our home and, um, you know, excited about, you know, that atmosphere with the pavilion and, and the everything around college football there. The UTC Sports Complex. I had never been there prior to this year, this spring. Um, beautiful facility, first off. Really well done. Really nice. Uh, what's the What's the future there? What's the future of Ingle Stadium? Well, the sports complex, specifically our soccer fields, we, we have started the process to um, look at uh, building a um, – locker room facility, kind of a player lounge, uh, and then a press box on top of that that will be on the north side of that uh, playing field that I think will be key for Gavin and, and the, the ladies. Right now they lock her up here at McKenzie and do all their stuff down there. But I think that's phase one, you know, and with that providing some permanent seating. Um, Ingle Stadium, we continue to talk about what could be there. There's some politics uh, to it. Um, based on its history and uh, the community. Um, but um, right now, you know, uh, University Recreation is really looking at it to 
look at the field side to be able to do some stuff for our campus community. I know the field is not great there. It hadn't been, it, it wasn't great there when the lookouts were playing there 30 years ago. Structurally, I've, he I've heard a lot. I don't know how much of it's true, but you know, I I've heard a lot. Um, what's the, what's the, the condition of that stadium? It's in very poor condition. You know, the, the roof is falling uh, from it that anybody that occupies it, they're going to have to do some major renovation, which again, they're talking about that, um, you know, the plumbing, you know, it's a facility since I've been here almost four years that no one's ever walked into. Uh, I've had the opportunity to tour it. And um, I certainly as a fan would not uh, want to be in there until some serious renovations are done. But, you know, but that's that's the kind of the, the tipping point is do you spend millions of dollars renovating it or do you take it to the ground and be able to to build something that, you know, that's prime real estate, you know, with the hospital there and the rec fields that uh, we need to figure out a plan and address that plan that, that that affects the most of our student population, whether that's building a stadium there of some sort or having something for the student recreation. Is there a timeline for this? There, there is not anything set yet. I know there was talk uh, of some construction going on around the McKenzie Arena, uh, in addition to the McKenzie Arena. What's the latest on that? You know, that's been talked about in fundraise for about nine years. Uh, we finally have gotten the funding. It's run through you know, the Tennessee higher ed system to the legislature, all the lights have gone green and it looks like the end of October, the 1st of uh, November, that we're finally gonna uh, have a hole in the ground outside of McKenzie and should be about an 18 month project. Um, you know, part of that will be renovations inside of McKenzie Arena with a new training room, uh, new equipment room, uh, men's and women's basketball uh, locker rooms, uh, staff locker rooms, a bunch of stuff within um, McKenzie, which we have a, a good problem, but it's a problem of uh, football has to leave there after this season and for one season has to locker, which right now temporarily in McClellan, uh, men's and women's basketball have to get out. Uh, sports information has to get out. Um, athletic training has to get out and we're working on those contingencies, but it's going to be 18 months of pain for something that's going to be transformational for our athletic department and our campus. From a fan standpoint, can you tell us what we'll see different at the McKenzie arena? Well, uh, one, one of the things is in that building, there's a 400 seat um, kind of a, a hall uh, that will be able to, move our Mox, Mox Club donors up pregame uh, in there and be able to look over campus and it'll be beautiful and go, go right into the third floor concourse of the arena. Um, you'll see some, you know, slight renovations to the fourth floor. Uh, but the, the main thing our fans will see is a new hospitality area uh, that can be used by our campus. But on game days, it certainly will be, you know, a, a place that, you know, we'll have a meal and have some adult beverages and uh, be able to have chalk talk by our coaches and go into watch a great atmosphere in, in McKenzie. Is there, is it feasible there to be able to put any type of suites in the upper level or is that something that just can't happen? We, we have a plan that uh, it won't be in this iteration of uh, construction, but we have a plan to be able to put four suites 
um, up on the fourth floor that you'll be able to access. And uh, again, a revenue stream that not only will help athletics, but when we bring concerts into the arena that we can sell those, uh, you know, to our fans who want that experience. But uh, that that's kind of the phase two of, of this that uh, we're, we're going to look at down the road. Sounds like you've, you had to make the decision then to stay long-term at McKenzie arena. Is that, is that correct? If you're doing all of this, you're, yes. you're kind of committing to it, right? What was the, what was the deciding factor between a remodel and just a complete implosion and start over? Um, you know, again, the dollars and cents, you know, we, we were lucky 30 years ago that when McKenzie was built, it was a community uh, campus partnership uh, that community, you know, relationship, they, they did their part, but, but uh, it's significant funds to be able to, to look at renovating. I th- again, we talked about the suites. You know, part of that with the suite plan is to go into the concourses, the bathrooms and concessions areas and completely renovate those. I think it would be a phased approach, um, but, you know, really trying to do something. I, you know, I tell people if I can blindfold them and get them into the bowl, they would think it's one of the best FCS or any, you know, one of the best at the size um, uh, arenas, but uh, the concourses and the uh, first floor, it, it needs some serious renovation and, and overhaul. We're going to stay here long-term. So we, we are making that plan, looking at dollars and cents and, and seeing what we can do uh, to phase that in. Can you talk about any other construction projects you've, you've got on, on the table? Well, one of the things that, you know, is not necessarily for the fans, but for our student athletes is we have a wonderful strength and conditioning center. The square footage is great uh, and a practice basketball facility. But, you know, there, there's no showers. There's no locker room. There's no athletic training area, uh, nothing for those student athletes. So if you, you have your uh, workouts with a basketball or anything in the strength conditioning area and you have class immediately after you're going all sweaty to your class. You can't take a shower. You know, our athletic training people um, daily load up their cars with, you know, their stuff to tape ankles and do stuff and do it in the hallway. So, you know, for our student athlete well-being, you know, we need to be able to, to have something on top of that. But the two priorities for me is that soccer facility and that addition onto uh, the Wofford uh, Center that's up there with the strict condition. Maybe the – the biggest um, story in college athletics over the last couple of months has been the idea of name, image, and likeness. I've heard a lot about this from from a lot of a lot of folks. Um, as the as an athletic director at the mid major level and the FCS level, what do you think name, image, and likeness looks like for Chattanooga athletes? I think it will affect us. It will not affect us as much as the, you know, up in Knoxville, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, it's evolved as this has continued. And we got a long way to answer a lot of questions, but it's not necessarily if you're the quarterback of the, the football team or the point guard on the basketball team, it's really dealing with social media and how many followers you have. And that's marketable to people in the community, you know, businesses in the community that you have, you know, a hundred thousand followers, you know, that's eyes on, you know, that product, uh, you know, it's really a regular regulatory issue, uh, that is a concern, whether it's from compliance to, 
you know, student athletes or any student having to manage money, you know, that most of them aren't aware that you got to pay taxes. And so, you know, there's a lot of education and there, there's a lot of companies popping up that want to partner either with a league or with individual schools that will handle a lot of that education as well as contracts, you know, and um, I just, to me, I've said from the very beginning, you know, it needs to be a national federal uh, bill that affects, you know, all 50 states rather than you know, as everybody saw, you know, California and Florida, Florida is kind of on the cutting edge. All of them look kind of the same, but they're different. You know, what you can offer and what you have to report and the eligibility of it. So, you know, until there's a federal mandate that is consistent, that everybody has a template that they can go off of, I think it's going to be a problem, you know, but, you know, I'm concerned on how it affects us. You know, the state of Georgia came out with their name, image, and likeness that, you know, revenue that produced within the athletic department, a portion of it have to be set aside to give it to them. And of course, Athens, the University of Georgia said they're not going to participate. That's what the law says. And Georgia Tech's followed suit, Georgia Southern's followed suit. So that's not in the Tennessee bill. You know, it's a, it's a different iteration. So it, it's, you know, we've got a long way to go until it's consistent. And like with many things like uh, cost of attendance to uh, eligibility to different things that's popped up through the years, we've made some mistakes and I had to go back and fix them to make sure, you know, we move forward and treat all our student athletes fairly. This looks uh like a really a, from from your the standpoint of you and your staff it's a compliance issue that it's it's something else you've got to follow up on and and oversee you're talking about these third party companies that are that are looking to partner is that something they're willing to do as well in addition to to educate are they willing to accept oversight to a small degree, but the, you know, the institutional control is important that, you know, we, we've talked as a, you know, the system that, you know, Knoxville has to hire two or three more compliance people. We've got to hire a third, which is bodies. And at our level and the resources, you're taking it from somebody else. And that person's really going to have to manage that. We have not made those decisions. Tennessee's bill doesn't go into effect till July 1 of 22. So we have a little bit of time, but um, you know, you'll, you'll have to, and, and institutions have to hire additional people to work with that third party company to be able to make sure that, you know, all the boxes are checked and we make sure we're in compliance. So the marketing of an athlete on social media, let's say, in some ways, that's still the marketing of UTC athletics. So is it possible that this can help in a situation like Chattanooga to kind of be able to raise the um, raise the profile a little bit in the community? I think to a degree, but what it's going to lead to, and what my feeling is any student athlete that markets themselves, their name, image, or likeness, right now, that they can't wear the power C. They can wear, you know, the colors, but there, there, there can't be anything dealing with UTC and whatever they're marketing on social media or, you know, true marketing, whether it's the billboard or whatever. But, you know, that the second phase of that is if you do it well or are a good student athlete, 
Alabama is going to come knocking on our door for a limb forward to go there because they say, I can get you more money through name, image, and likeness. And it's going to exacerbate, you know, what already is a chaotic transfer portal. So again, you know, there's all these dominoes that at our level, I, I, I think it hurts more than it does other levels. Real quick, you mentioned the transfer portal, uh, just to kind of close things out. How is that? How is that going from the inside? Um, obviously, you see it and, and probably have a different perspective on it than most. How is that portal working? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? I would say no. I mean, especially in college basketball, both men's and women's, that um, you know we, we benefited from it. Um, we've also been hurt by it, you know, with Kevin Easley and uh, Donovan Totley, you know, you can list many others, uh, Foreman from four years ago to, you know, uh, Mikhail London, you know, the, those guys, but the way Lamont has done the transfer portal, we benefited from it. And those guys are staying and, you know, he's developed them into the team we have now, you know, football, I think Rusty, has been lucky so far uh, that it really hadn't hit us. I think that has everything to do with the culture that he has. Uh, but, you know, we're, you know, we, we are, we are all sitting here as an athletic department June 1st that they meet that night, you know, as a team meeting that every guy, every one of them shows up, you know, that they still have the opportunity to go. And if they get here June 1st, we got them, you know, and it's that kind of hold your breath mentality. Once the season's over, you know, the kids are going to, knock on our compliance door and put themselves in the, the portal. But, you know, at every level, they're seeing the pros and cons of it. And quite frankly, I think there's more cons than pros. I, I do agree that they need the freedom to go, but how, how you build, especially college basketball, is you got to get old. You have to have an old, mature team, which means you used to be young and learn and go through that. If you're a freshman, you know, whatever position, you play five minutes your freshman year. And then, you know, 11 minutes your sophomore year and then, you know, get to 20 minutes your junior, senior year, that that's not happening. You know, kids, if they play five minutes, I, you know, I'm going to go find a better place. And you know, there's far, far more people or kids in the transfer portal than places to go. And so, you know, it's be careful what you wish for type of mentality. Well, it's almost June. Your plans for the summer. Got some family vacations. I uh, had the opportunity our spring meetings of the SOCON is down in Hilton Head next week. Uh, I call it a work meeting. My wife calls it a vacation. But, uh, uh, you know, having that opportunity and trying to take some time to decompress. And then, uh, you know, our staff, August 1, we're, we're live until um, May 1st of next year. So, you know, encouraging our staff to get away and, you know, have that opportunity to be with family and catch your breath. And then we're wide open starting August 1st. What do you anticipate being the topic of conversation at the spring meetings next week? Uh, could be expansion, you know, looking at, you know, like we talked about with the A Sun, there's opportunities out there that need to make sense. And, you know, obviously we have a, you know, melting pot of schools from the academies to uh, the privates to the publics that there's not always a consensus on who's the right fit. Um, I think looking at as a league, we continue to talk about the strength of our basketball program and um, programs within the league to, again, talk about elevating that even further. 
Um, those are a lot of conversations. We signed a new deal with ESPN that we have linear, linear gains uh, now. Uh, I think it's 11 of them uh, per season for the next six years. Uh, how to get our brand out there. But uh, it, it's, I'm excited about it because uh, just like everybody else, I've been looking at these ADs uh, up until a month ago. It was every week for the last 13 months. Uh, I like them, but uh, it's going to be better to be able to have the social aspect of it and, you know, enjoy that, that kind of part of it. But it, it, it'll be interesting what comes out of it. And it's always looking at, you know, building our individual brand as well as our league brand and how it relates to other FCS programs across the country. Mark, safe travels. Have a great summer. I'm sure we'll catch up again come August. Absolutely. Great seeing you. Thanks again to Mark for giving us some time. It's always great when we get a chance to, to hear directly from the Chattanooga Director of Athletics. Mox on the mic will take a little bit of a vacation for the first two weeks of June. So we'll be back with you again the middle of June. And we'll be talking with more current and former student athletes. We've got a couple of surprises planned for this summer as well. We hope you'll make plans once again to be with us. Don't forget, you can download Mox on the Mic. We're available wherever you download your podcast from. Until then, for our producer, Tate Johnson, I'm Chris Goforth. So long and go Mox. Thanks for listening to Mox on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And we'll see you again soon.